Welcome to the Meat and Poultry Podcast. This podcast is your online portal to hear from experts in the industry about the latest news, trends, technologies, and people in the world of meat and poultry processing. For the Meat Poultry Podcast, I'm Ryan McCarthy, Digital Media Editor. After decades of being in the business of providing seafood to the Denver area, Seattle Fish Company recently took on a new project to broaden its meat portfolio. In November 2022, the company acquired specialty meat producer Lombardi Brothers Meats. Lombardi also operates a retail meat shop called The Ranch, which was started in 2020 in Denver. For this episode of the Meat and Poultry Podcast, we wanted to dive in with Derek Figueroa, Chief Executive Officer of the Seattle Fish Company to discuss the acquisition. Figueroa takes us through how he sees Lombardi and Seattle Fish growing with this deal. He then talks about how important it is to keep local connections for Lombardi and Seattle Fish, even when they try to expand products nationally. Later on, Figueroa discusses how being in Denver is crucial to growing the brand of Seattle Fish and Lombardi. There's all that and more in this episode of the Meat and Poultry Podcast, so take a listen. Just to get started, Derek, can you kind of give our audience a little background on Seattle Fish Company uh, before we get into the, the acquisition itself? Yeah, absolutely. So Seattle Fish Company was founded in 1918 by Mo's Iacino here in Denver, and he had come over from Grimaldi, Italy as a 16-year-old, was working at his brother's meat shop in Denver and kind of looking for something he wanted to do uh, himself. And so he'd take these walks around the tour or around the city. And he kind of made friends with a chef on a train that came from Seattle. Uh, and the chef was bringing in oysters. And so Mose had asked the chef, hey, will you bring in extra oysters? He got extra oysters off the train. And he kind of started Seattle Fish Company in a wooden cart, you know, with oysters, ice, and dirt streets in Denver, sort of shucking oysters. And so that's kind of where we had started inside, you know, Colorado. And, you know, fast forward 104 years uh, still inside Denver, but we've expanded our range through Rocky Mountain region. Uh, we're <clears throat> probably 95% seafood as a company. 75% of that is fresh, never frozen. So we have a real sort of inherent, uh, maybe not bias, but a, you know, sort of a, a pro- proclivity, right, to, to fresh seafood. Yeah. Um, and we employ 180 people, kind of operate 24-7 in a 65,000 square foot warehouse with 30 trucks and about 15 and a half million pounds a year. Okay. So for you guys to add uh, Lombardi Brothers Meats now, which is another company that's based right in there in Denver, kind of what went into that to being the right time and how it kind of fits into, into your business of what you guys want to do? Yeah, maybe like sort of three real uh, components that made it the, the most sense. So first we sold Sailfish Company um, to Armand Agra back in November of 2021. So Armand Agra is a holding company of Founders Food Group and Founders owns and has a significant footprint inside terrestrial protein. So they own Walt's Wholesale Meat in, in, in Washington. They own McDonald Meat in Seattle, Sierra Meat in, uh, where are they, Reno, Flukini Family Provisions in Carson City with sausages. And they also own Prestige Seafood in Canada uh, Eastern Canada, who's the largest freshwater uh, catcher producer in North America. So this founders group has, you know, sort of an extensive holdings around uh, protein in general. Now they right. had 
a catcher producer in Prestige, uh, but most of their business is inside sort of that meat. So Seattle Fish Company joins Armand Agra, you know, bringing to the group, you know, a heavy seafood presence, um, you know, good significant retail expertise, but we didn't have good exposure to, to meat. So the sale is kind of the first thing that makes sense is, you know, we've got one, uh, now we have resources to be able to sort of acquire and really grow within our market, uh, depending on sort of what the customers need. Uh, the second is given sort of, you know, maybe the, the holdings of our parent company have a lot of expertise inside meat. So it's, you know, becomes part of that investment thesis for us to scale our business uh, through the meat side. And I think third is from a customer standpoint, especially given the challenges, you know, opening a food service or even retail in this environment, uh, you know, between labor, increasing costs, supply chain challenges, um, you know, inflation, uh, COVID, dining public, you, you name it. Uh, I think there's more of a push for uh, engagement with, you know, sort of vendor partners that can, you know, provide more value, reduce drop size, uh, you know, aggregate more items together, just become more of a fulsome uh, partner uh, through through sourcing. Yeah. And you kind of touched on quite a bit of that, but is that kind of what Lombardi saw where they are a, parting, a part of this big holding group, but they also have you guys in Denver, you know, where you have a source that they can go to on a day-to-day -day basis where it's in Denver instead of, you know, some other place in the country. Yeah, and it's a good explanation. I mean, maybe a little bit more uh, nuance. It's got, so Armand Agra and the holding strategy, it's a family office. So it's a buy and hold for a really long time frame. So this is not like a PE sort of a flip. So you see like Armand Agra and, and Seattle Fish Company is a good example where they buy a company and they keep that legacy, they keep that history. So if you come into Seattle Fish Company, there's the painting of our founder, Mose Iacino, in the front, you know, in the front office. I mean, that yeah. history is part of what we have. The name Seattle Fish Company is still in the building. We kept 100% of our employees during the sale. So I think that's number one for Lombardi looking for a partner. You know, you don't want to be, you know, sort of absorbed and become a cog in a larger machine, especially when you have, you know, history and deep history inside Denver from 1947. So I think first and foremost, it's attractive for Lombardi to say, you know, if we're going to sell, let's find the right partner. Second is that, you know, it's just given that maybe the, the scale and the consolidation of some of the protein space, you know, you find inherent economies of scale with partners. And, and so, you know, it's difficult to run, you know, five production or five distribution trucks, you know, through Denver where Seattle Fish Company have 30. So we're able to, you know, immediately on a six-fold basis, expand their geography, expand the distribution frequency and offer what they've done, which is high quality meat and awesome customer service, but you put it on that sort of last mile. And frankly, we already have that established. So it's not, you know, there's really kind of no incremental cost to adding sort of beef and then, you know, I think the final component, you know, besides finding, you know, somebody that will keep sort of the legacy and invest in the business and then share some services is the common customer. So you've got, you know, sort of, you know, they have, you know, and I think when we looked at the customer base, it was like a 50%, like some 50% of the customers they're doing business with and 50% are new for us. So I think just the same customer persona at the same time. So I think that was attractive to Lombardi ownership. For you guys, just, 
out of curiosity, how close are your two places yeah. in Denver? You know, just kind of a basic geography question there. Yeah, like 12 minutes. I mean, I think it's, okay. you know, I think, yeah, and if I, yeah, I could probably say four miles, but it's on this like really congested sort of highway, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a 12 minute jaunt sort of over there. So it makes it, um, yeah, it makes it really convenient as well. Uh, something you guys mentioned in the release when I saw it was having the chance for Lombardi to get a more nat national reach a little bit. Um, I know you guys are focused mainly on Rocky Mountain, but what does it mean for them, for you guys to be able to have this addition when you guys want to push a little more national too? Yeah, and I think the national piece, one of the things that, and I don't know that I did a good job explaining, but when we, and Armand Agra by the company, that it's this history of preserving the legacy and preserving the name, right? So that Lombardi name, that Lombardi company, Lombardi employees, that, that endures. And, and, and I think so, but even though you have regional sort of brand names, you're able to provide solutions to customers on a regional basis. So, you know, if it's, uh, you know, like I said, you got something in, in Seattle, you got something in Reno, you got something in Denver now, you're able to really expand sort of a footprint and provide some common, you know, solution. So if that's, um, you know, specific sort of, you know, cuts of meats, you know, if we have, you know, specific brands like Royal Ranch is one of the ones that McDonald Meat does, you're able to then scale that over larger, you know, territory. So you can offer common solutions, but from different, differently branded opcos. And I think it is that scale then that Armand Agra and Seattle Fish Company bring, uh, not just within the region, like we've got a much bigger footprint than, than, than um, <clears throat> Lombardi did, but also into some of those other markets, if that's a uh, a prime, if that's a type of Colorado beef, you know, if that's a type of cut, if that's common processing, I think there's all kinds of opportunities. I know you mentioned that you guys are at about 65,000 square feet. How large is Lombardi's operation? And I know they also have a, a retail store that they've, they've, they've got as well. So yeah, so the production facility is maybe 20,000 square feet, um, you know, and it is a production facility. And then two doors down, they have uh, a retail store that's also got sort of some offices. So it's about maybe half the size of Seattle Fish Company footprint. How does a, a retail shop fit into your guys' business portfolio and kind of explain that a little bit? Also just kind of give me a general retail versus food service for you guys at Seattle Fish and also Lombardi too. Yeah, I mean, the retail is an interesting concept because you're taking that Lombardi name and the ranch, you know, directly to folks within the neighborhood to sort of be able to buy it. So it's that kind of providing, you know, food service quality that, you know, only you know, top chefs or, you know, somebody who finds food service can sort of get and they get it directly, right? It's not through a ton of intermediaries. So I think we see folks, you know, whether it's your neighbor buying a whole cow and chucking it in a chest freezer. I mean, I think there is... Um, you know, some appeal, right, for customers to know where it comes from. Um, you know, the, the retail is pretty, probably pretty localized. Just in doing is doing our own retail. So, you know, I'd expect that to stay pretty local. Um, you know, it's not something I think that we'd look to scale in a bunch of other locations. We've got, you know, really good retail partners, uh, you know, like some of the bigger, you know, sort of retailers that we count as partners. And, you know, frankly, we want to make sure in the market we're supporting them. So, you know, the retail store, I think, is just a really cool story because it's connected to the actual production facility. And I think it just helps drive some affinity for the brand within that regional neighborhood. So it's, it's probably even more kind of community-based, right, in terms of like, you know, rather than, you know, the next, um, you know, Folsom 
growth of uh, revenue generation. So. Yeah, and I would imagine, like, especially for your food service clients that are in uh, in Denver, they would actually kind of like having this retail place to kind of check things out a little bit. Or do they do they have interest to in that? Or have you guys kind of built up the reputation where they know you? I mean, I, I guess it gives them more options if they want to come check it out. Yeah, it does. I think what's even um, so, yeah, the retail helps to be able to look inside some of that and sort of see it, I think for, but, but again, I think it's really, um, at least from a retail sort of buying and perspective, you know, it's really going to be more consumers that are going to come in. It's going to bring pre-cut stuff. Now what the, the ranch and that retail store also has is a really nice commercial kitchen. So that provides opportunities to, you know, how do different pieces cook and what's the different, I mean, you could put side by side, you know, a choice, a prime, a CAB, and a Wagyu, you, you know, sort of strip loin. And, and you could go down and vertically taste those. And, you know, you, we've got a chef that could cook it. So it's probably more of a, like a culinary experience in, in terms of like a cutting side. Uh, but we find sort of from a chef standpoint, there's no, like, there's no, there's no substitute to actually going to the, the facility, right? So I think yeah. that's where, you know, the opportunities there, especially maybe with that commercial kitchen are, to bring folks into the production facility to see sort of the quality needs, see it being processed, meet the folks that are behind it, right? I mean, there's, you know, you see chefs and, and I don't know, I've seen it. And we have Facebook and Instagram is full of folks like doing breakdown and showing how they do a rib. There's, there's something inherently, you know, sort of old school cool about this butchery, like skilled butchery kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you have folks doing this kind of level of production, chefs like to see, and then we could take it over to that retail store, cook it up and try it and just see the differences. Uh, Derek, had, uh, since Seattle Fish has a long history, had they gone, had you guys gone into other proteins at any point? Has it gone back and forth with bringing on red meat and, and things like that in the past? Or how's that yeah, kind of gone? Yeah, we probably do. Um, yeah, it's good. We probably do about a million pounds of, of like, we call it like terrestrial protein, uh, but like chicken, beef, uh, pork, Stuff. So we have a, like a really great chicken uh, out of um, uh, Goshen, Indiana, Miller Farms. Um, I don't know if you know them, but um, it's just phenomenal. phenomenal. It's like a step two bird. It just eats really well. So, you know, that's one for us. We've also do some, carry some product for, um, you know, Fitch Ranch, which is a sort of Colorado based, uh, you know, sort of grower. But the difference there, though, is that we're operating uh, at that level as a sort of redistributor. So we can buy, you know, 40 pound carton of, of chicken and, you know, we buy it straight from the distributor or for, straight from the grower, the producer, and we get it. So there's not a big intermediary, but what we don't have is sort of those uh, production capabilities. And so what Lombardi adds to our distribution footprint is this like, you know, highly, you know, developed processing facilities. So now you can take some primals and cut them into, you know, steaks on a just-in-time basis. You do your own grinds. You can do proprietary grinds. You can cut, you know, all kinds of different meat. You can put it into, you know, different crabbacks. So it's just, it's a whole, it's what we do with fish, right? It's sort of not, fish isn't for us, isn't box in, box out. And I think there are people that do that. But I think ultimately for the customer, you add little value, right? You're just moving a box. Anybody can move a box. But I think if you want, I believe, right, if you want to add, you know, more value to, you know, to the partnership. I think there's a processing component, right? And also driving out other folks that are inside the chain that aren't adding value. So I think we're able to do is buy from, you know, GBS, the CAB, the Cargill, process that, 
you know, ourselves, right, at a, at a Lombardi and then put it on a Seattle Fish Company truck that's already going somewhere. And, and I think that chain then adds a lot of value for the customers. It, it can drive cost out of the process. And then we can also offer, you know, those specific, you know, solutions that customers need. If somebody needs a 10 ounce, you know, I think, so we have product coming over today and uh, we have some folks that bought like a 10 pound, I don't know how you 10 pounds of meat, right? But 10 pounds of, uh, it's a 12 ounce like CAB, like uh, a strip loin. Um, but it's those kinds of, of things that you're sort of able to, it's not just a box and not whatever they have. It's like, you can, you can fulfill the need. Derek, uh, just to step back for a minute. Um, how long have you been at Seattle Fish and your current role and kind of what have you seen the changes and everything that have gone through, through throughout your time? Yeah, so a current role, I took over as CEO for the company in, was it October of 20, 2019, right? So it's sort of five months sort of before COVID. Uh, and the owners of the company were, uh, you know, I think the, the current owner, or the current CEO uh, pursued a, um, uh, a career in politics. And so he, he decided, hey, I don't want to be in the fish business. I want to run for, for office. Uh, I had been serving as um, uh, president and COO sort of prior but I've been with the business. I've been with the business for 33 years. It's been like a long, sort of summer job um, for 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 me uh, to do it. Um, and, and I think you know we've seen a lot of changes within the industry. So when I first started, we were probably 85% frozen and 15% fresh. Now it's almost exactly exactly. We're pretty close to the opposite. We're almost 85% fresh seafood, and that's that niche. I think that we fill. It's somewhat difficult. There's you know high barriers to entry. You know we need to buy without knowing how much we're going to sell and you know we really need to move it in three days and that's why i think this meat thing is pretty cool like you can it, it, wet age meat and sell it for more that's like you know it's like heresy for the seafood you know sort of people so i think you know in terms of changes we've seen we've seen you know at least our business shift for a lot from fresh or from frozen to, to fresh um i think the other thing that we've you know really seen is transparency around the supply chain um, and I think that's been a really good thing. And, I, and I'm talking specific sort of seafood here, but where, where does it, where does it come from? Who catches it? How do we make sure there's not you know, sort of slave labor or illegal fishing or, um, you know, how do I make sure, you know, this, I'm not buying a high mercury fish. I mean, I think it's the transparency of the supply and the source. So it's probably not, you know, mercury is not as much of a contamination, but really making sure, you know, where the product comes from. I've also seen a big push on, you know, what our industry would call like sustainability. And I think you can talk about that a lot. I think in beef, that might be like a regenerative agriculture kind of kind of thing. But for us, it would be, you know, bycatch, it would be adherence to quota, it would be making sure there's sort of seasonal adjustments, there's no bird mortality, uh, that, you know, fishing activity isn't having adverse impact to the environment, you know, so those kinds of things. And it's really sensitive around seafood and i think some of that is because like seafood's kind of this last of the wild resource like nobody goes to the back 40 and you know takes down a wild cow like they just don't exist right like maybe you have some feral pigs or but there's no and you know even buffalo right like you don't yeah. sort of have as fish are just and you can't you can't see them They're generally in the ocean so you can't see them sort of you know you know traversing the plains and you know, windy corn stalks and stuff. So uh, I think there's a lot of scrutiny around fish and I think that's really helped us. I think it's helped us to, you know, make sure that, you know, the processes and the practices uh, that we adhere to are, are good for the environment, good for the fish, but then they're also, 
you know, transparent. So you've got a lot of third party organizations who are, you know, putting certifications or scrutiny in terms of how seafood's processed. So that would be a really big shift. It's just the amount of attention that, you know, sort of the, the supply chain itself receives. Yeah. And I was kind of, I had a supply chain question a little bit yeah. for you, Derek, of how, you know, being a, a fresh seafood distributor in Denver, how, how does it, how do you go about that now and being, you know, so competitive and being the top, one of the top people in Denver for that then? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I think like, you know, and it was tough maybe in sort of the earlier days, we're really fortunate. We've got Denver International Airport it is, you know, it used to be, I think I live on it now, like our house is pretty close, but it used to be like two miles from us. And now it's a little bit further, but it's only like 20 minutes away. Um, and it's, I think it's like, it just has been growing. It's the fourth or yeah. fifth. Huge airport. Big, yeah. In sort of passenger count. So we think of that as our port in, in the city. Uh, so, so, I mean, it's just like, you know, we talked to friends who, you know, somebody that'll live in, I don't know, Reno, they had like two hops to get to somebody or, you know, they're like bemoaning the fact that like, oh my gosh, like no planes. And we're like, what are you even talking about? Like, we're so used to direct flights anywhere you want to go. Like it's direct to Denver. Like I haven't probably taken a connecting flight, like honestly, except for like, I don't know, like we went to Hawaii like two years ago and we flew to LA, but outside of that, like there's just, it doesn't exist. So seafood comes into us so fast on the air and yeah. then also trucking. Like we're just so geographically centered that we almost have an advantage to the folks on the coast. So if you're on the West coast, then about stuff on the East coast, it travels past Denver. Uh, and so the logistics are so easy to get product in that, um, you know, the transit time just isn't really much of a factor. So I think we've been able to get that. And I've got a friend, um, kind of a, a PR person, but he has this concept of, uh, he calls it the myth of coastal superiority. And, and I guess what he was saying is like, you don't have to live on the coast to get great seafood. I mean, if it's, you know, if you're at Lake Bernadette or something and you're eating a West Coast seafood and flew over to Denver or oyster, flew over to Denver to get you. So it's, it's almost like you, it's not that the seafood is better one place than another. It's like, you can get really good quality seafood no matter where you are. And I think we're so fortunate to be able to bring it in. And, you know, we also run seven days a week, 24 hours a day. So, um, you know, we're constantly processing uh, sort of fish. We're constantly moving fish out and we've got a fairly robust sort of history and then also demand planning. We put a ton of time into trying to figure out what do we think we're going to have? What do we think we're going to need? So that's the other sort of real component is making sure that we have places to, to move it. Uh, and then, you know, maybe as a segue, this sort of Lombardi piece kind of helps us because now we're, you know, we have even more customers that, you know, we can talk to and frankly, we can offer a better solution. So it's not just, hey, do you want to buy fish or can we help you? It's like, do you want to buy fish and seafood and terrestrial protein? So we can become like a high-end protein sort of distributor and that'll help us grow volume for, for fish and for, for meat. You know, since you've seen Denver grow so much in the last 30 years, can you touch on you know, the appeal of that city, of that metro area, of how it's an easy place to sell and grow a brand now, where it has become such a hub, you yeah. know, out there in the Mountain West. Yeah, it's great. And we're really fortunate. We always talk about, like, just how fortunate we are to be inside Colorado. And I think there's a lot of good cities like this. Um, for us, you know, you start with, you know, just the geographical sort of center. And, and so you don't have folks that uh, have necessarily sort of 
grown up here. So you have somebody in the East Coast, they'll be like, oh man, I used to get striped bass, or someone in Minnesota, they'll be like, hey, we used to get this walleye. So you get folks with yeah. regional preferences and they all descend here. And then, you know, so there is no such thing as like we eat, the, they eat everything, right? And so I think you've got it, uh, you know, just a, a wide palette. I, I think number two, you know, from a geographic standpoint, it's fairly educated, you know, it's fairly affluent. Uh, and you have a high degree of education. So those things sort of really help from, you know, from a fitness and then also share of wallet, like to be able to buy some of it. Um, the other thing that we've seen, and I think this is different than other industries, but just from a, a chef and an eating community, there's just like a network and sort of a community. And so, you know, I was telling somebody the story the other day, like you'd never see the CEO from United Fly Southwest and then go off the plane and immediately hit Twitter and say, oh my God, had the best flight on, on Southwest, like go book a seat now. Like this never happened. But that you'd have a chef of a restaurant across the street be like, dude, I just ate it, like whatever, the spotted toad, and it was phenomenal. Like everything was on point, go eat there now. And so I think there's kind of that inherent, I think it just stems because it's the hospitality industry yeah. that really sort of generates like so much buzz. And, and like nobody's been, I mean, it's not true, but like, there's few industries that have been hurt as much as sort of this hospitality through labor and COVID and shutdown and increasing pricing, but yeah, they're incredibly resilient. So you just got folks that, you know, also, you know, aren't, you know, that don't, you know, don't, don't pity themselves that are really looking for different ways to engage customers that are really nimble, um, you know, that sort of change on a dime. Uh, and I think the last piece that I would probably say is we just got really great media uh, and I think it's just around, you know, it's not even just food media, some of it's food media, but on some of the stories. And I think you've seen like these self-styled restaurant critics, like this whole, you know, I don't know, the guy's Pete Wells, it makes people cry or something like those dudes don't exist in Colorado. And you've had more people being like, Hey, this is a good dish. You have that. So it's just kind of a supportive kind of, kind of piece. I think just really lucky to, to be inside this environment that just really fosters, um, you know, just a great sort of food scene and yeah. environment. Derek, this is more of just a, a general question about protein. Uh, and this is one of the last ones I'll have for you. Um, you know, they've always been linked meat and seafood. You can see them at, at a, you know, a counter and stuff like that. But do you feel like they're getting more linked now? Not just you guys doing this, but do you feel like it's the way of things are going now where people are going to really see meat and seafoods you know, working together more often? Um, I think the easy answer to that is probably yes. Um, although there'll still be pockets of specialization. So I think um, what I would probably say, so we have a, can I answer this a roundabout way? So we have sure. a, like a strategic plan and one of our goals is kind of capture shifting consumer demand. And, and so what I'd probably say is it'd probably be driven by the consumers, right? And sort of the marketplace. So that's what I think we're seeing now in terms of those opportunities. The customer for high-end seafood is not dissimilar from high-end meat. Um, but, so I think from that piece, you can have a you know, holistic solution that really provides a lot of benefit from somebody to buy from one sort of vendor, less trips, less invoice, better purchasing power, you know, better relationship. Like I think there's, there's a lot of good to it. The, the challenge though, is you can't be all things to all people. So I would say, yes, meat and seafood can, can exist, but like all not seafood is not equal and all meat is not equal, right? So you've got 
you, you know, you'll always have like broadliners do a phenomenal job, like folks like Cisco and Shamrock. And, you know, you go into a restaurant, pretty much buy anything you need from a Cisco or Shamrock, but they'll suffer a little bit because they have so many items. They can't provide all the education. Uh, and then because they have so many items, especially on sort of meat and seafood, you'll go through like a skew rationalization. Will they carry the items that are you know, most favorable to, to sort of customers. And I think you've got some of these more sort of integrated companies now that can come in and offer sort of within the edges of that to be, you know, not everything in meat and seafood, but kind of a tightly controlled sort of range that hits this sort of middle market between, you know, like upper end sort of dining to, you know, sort of retailers to everything. It's sort of a, you know, top two thirds of piece. So I think, you know, so consumers will demand it. And I think you know, there's just some externalities on distributors, like trucks are expensive, drivers are hard to get, fuel's expensive. So anything you can do to bring services together, you're going to be a lot better. Because I think at the end of the day, if a customer gets a truck, they want a truck. Now, they love their driver, and I think it's really important, but it's not, you know, delivery is important. But if you can reduce the number of sort of touch points without compromising quality and relationships, you're going to be better off. So I think it's, it's so it is a little bit strategic for some of the distribution companies. I think if you put these things together in the same customer profiles and personas, you're not violating anything there. And I think generally it's a little bit easier. So I, I'd say, Ryan, the last of this extremely long answer would be <laughs> that I think you're starting to dispel this myth of it's not a myth, right? But this sort of long held um, preference of I buy my meat from a meat company, I buy my seafood from a seafood company, right? Like, you know, people want to deal with a meat specialist, they want to deal with a, a seafood specialist. And, and, and I think because these are fairly intertwined, you can provide the same level of service expertise, you know, and, and sort of scope of goods and not compromise the experience. So I think you'll see more. I think you'll see more of that. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate the answer. It was it wasn't an easy question by any means. So I didn't expect like a super quick answer should, on it. So. Should I have just said yes? <laughs> awesome. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I appreciate I always appreciate the detail for sure. Uh Derek, the last thing, uh, just quickly, you know, after you guys make this this big announcement, kind of what's the you you detailed quite a bit of it, but what's the outlook now for you guys moving into 23 now, uh uh after making Lombardi part of your part of your team? Yeah, I mean, we're going to really, I mean, we've got some foundational issues that I think we want to invest in. So, um, you know, we're putting in a new ERP system to, you know, I think so pursuit of technology to, you know, provide increased service to optimize our business and drop costs. And so I think we've got an obligation to our customers to make sure that we're sort of reducing cost of operation. So anything we can do to add technology, to improve productivity, drop operating costs that benefit our customers, we really want to, to do. And so that's ERP. Uh, we just hired a new uh, IT project manager. He started today. Uh, so he'll be in charge of, you know, customer order apps, um, you know, things to be able to offer self-service and take some of the transactional cost out of it. So that's a big piece for us. I think number two, we talked about wanting to capture shifting consumer demand. So, you know, beyond just sort of processing fish and put it in a box, uh, we actually sent some stuff out today to one of our retail customers. It's a meal like a composed meal. So it's got, mm. you know, six ounce piece of salmon, spice on top of it, artichoke, compound butter inside a skin pack. So I think just playing around with, you know, being able to make value added processes or value added products that are, you know, self-serve, you know, so it takes labor out of the store, um, but they're also really convenient, um, ready to cook at the consumer place. We think that's kind of important. So we'll invest 
in that component. Um, and then I think we want to, um, that's the other piece. I think it just takes some time to integrate and make sure that we're really thoughtful around Neil Lombardi and, and make sure you know, that that brand endures, that that's, you know, continues to be real strong sort of, you know, product and, and, and make sure that we're offering in a sort of compelling manner. So those are maybe, those are maybe some of the big three. Sounds good. Well, hey, Derek, I appreciate the time today. That was uh, some really great insight. It's always good to hear some, some seafood insight into meat. So yes. we appreciate, we appreciate the time, man. That's cool. Thanks, Ryan. I really appreciate the opportunity. Make sure to check out the latest stories from the monthly print edition and online at meatpoultry.com. Also follow us on social media at Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, all by searching at Meat Poultry. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us. All right, that's it for this time, folks. Thanks for listening and have a great day.